Good. Well, I've been asked to uh, give a Christmas message this morning, and I've been preparing for some time. You may not like some of it. Not everything uh, is about you or me. And the subject this morning is God giving to us, God's gifts for us. And Paul talks about uh, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus being given for us on the cross to blot out our sins and pardon and forgive us and make our way to heaven. And there are many wonderful scriptures that can make us glad. That's one side of the coin. In Australia and all British dominions, what used to be British dominions, a coin is only worthwhile if both sides are unobliterated. If you would file off one side of a coin, it has no value. And there are two sides to an issue. So I want to describe not only the blessing of God that you can receive in the next few minutes, but also what Christmas is really like for a lot of Australians. Uh, By tonight, five men will have committed suicide, nearly 50 in the next week. Most suicides in Australia happen in Queensland. Most of them are between 18 uh, to 64. Most are men. 75% of all Australian suicides are men. Women's magazines teach women to complain to their husbands that they're a big disappointment. There is a pressure to overspend and go into debt at Christmas. $20 billion spent every Christmas. Arguments during alcohol and overeating at Christmas. Families bickering. Homeless people watching people going in and out of Westfield and Can Central, laden with gifts that they have no part of. Loads of single women facing Christmas alone with children who know other children are receiving gifts and they are pressured to give to their kids and do the best they can. Bereaved people who have lost their partner and the first Christmas is faced alone. Single people who are not invited anywhere for Christmas, knowing feasts are going on to which they are not welcome. Poverty very widespread and suicide very widespread amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders up in the Kimberleys and elsewhere, the highest suicide rate of any group in the country. And we say we have a message of hope. We say Merry Christmas. This is the real Christmas of real people in the real Australia. And if we are blessed, we have obligation. And I would, I would, challenge, you, I would challenge you to invite people you know are lonely to join in your Christmas. Uh, and they, they don't have to be down and out. Up and out can be just as lonely. Uh, I used to live in Noosa, in the Sunshine Coast, which has the highest rate of domestic violence in the country. The so-called up-and-out 
who live on their credit cards, overextended, trying to impress people with money they don't have, and then you face the debt all year. I love Christmas. I love the gift giving. I love the witness uh, of Jesus Christ. I love the joy of children at Christmas. I I believe in Christmas. I'm in full favor of Christmas. I don't see it as a rotten pagan festival. I see it as a wonderful opportunity to remember the Savior and remember each other and to remember generosity, something God loves. And uh, so I love it too. And I've had some wonderful Christmases and seen some wonderful Christmases. I used to stay with an Anglican couple many years ago in their house. He was the manager of a showgrounds, agricultural showgrounds, and at Christmas he would, he and his wife would put on a big Christmas meal for their children, their relatives, but they would also go around the camping ground and find people who were destined for a miserable Christmas and invite them to share the table. And just one or two, because you don't want to get overwhelmed, you want to give them a real Christmas if you Spread yourself too thin, you can do very little. But there's a lot you can do. There are a lot of homeless people who just need somebody to at least learn their name and talk to them. And uh, you could be that person. So I want to challenge you at Christmas, don't be like the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man fed sumptuously every day and didn't think about the poor right on his doorstep. There are things that we can do Uh, with what God provides. And I just want to quickly go through them before I talk about God giving to you, equipping you so that you can give. So the emphasis will be on receiving from God, but I wanted to start with that. One in five men dying, one in three, uh, sorry, five men dying every day, three women dying every day through suicide. That's not counting the ones who die through domestic violence. Women are twice as likely to self-harm. So there's a lot of women with great despair in their lives who are facing silent sorrows. We say we're the light of the world. We say we're salt and light. Where is it? The Bible says don't just love in words only but in deeds. These are the things people need in order to do well all need supportive relationships. A a little phone call can change somebody's life. Phone somebody you know who needs the phone call and show some support. That is one. The next one is a sense of having options. In real poverty, you have no options. Uh, You don't have choices. We're spoiled for choice Many of us are first world brats. Uh, I remember a pastor's wife crying in her car because the loan car before she got her new $50,000 car was blue instead of red. So she sat there crying that God could be so cruel to her. Spoiled first world brat. And not the only one I've come across. Very often we've got complaints, they're first world problems. Uh, If you were in Sudan or Somalia or uh, many of the Islamic countries that have been absolutely ruined by tyranny and rape and torture and so on, and Christians, real Christians in many of those countries are not having a Christmas like you're having. 
these things are real. I'm talking about reality. I'm not just trying to bring you down and be negative. These things are real. God is a God of justice. He sees everything. Nothing escapes his sight. He cares and loves for the poor, and he's told the church to care and love for the poor. And the church is us. All need options. All need a sense of purpose. Something to wake up for. I remember one man painting his garage yet again because he said, I have nothing to wake up for. I need a project. The amazing thing about being a person of God or a Christian is that you are called with a holy calling and God has given you a mission in life and you are born for something. According to Ephesians chapter 2, you're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. In other words, there's a job for you to do. Now, I can't tell you what your job is, but you can find it. And one of the delights of life is to feel that you're on course and that you're needed. Now, one way that you can show your mother or your father or your relatives or your friends is to tell them what they have done for you. Acknowledge. When you acknowledge people contributing into your life, your life is richer. Now, Philemon 6 says this. It says, I pray that the acknowledging of your faith will lead to your fellowship becoming effective. Fellowship becomes effective when we acknowledge every good thing in us for Christ Jesus' sake. Philemon verse 6. And it's a really important key to life to start acknowledging what you've received. And usually when you receive it, you receive it from people. God doesn't just drop it down out of the heaven and it lands on your lap. There are many blessings that do come to you that way. But usually God blesses you through people. And I say this, make a point of acknowledging them. That means saying thank you. A sense of purpose. The next one is family peace. The reason why many suicides happen at Christmas and why Salvation Army shelters are full of people and why counsellors, psychologists and others uh, find people rushing to them around Christmas is because uh, there's no family harmony or, or family is hell on earth. And many times the women have made it hell on earth. Uh, they have told their husbands that they're spiritual lightweights and they are, heavy, they are heavyweights. They have told their husbands that they are inferior fools. Uh, they have nagged them for most of the year. The iron fist in the velvet glove. And the men are angry and hurt. They're not acknowledged. They are demonized. And they react now, I'm absolutely against domestic violence, absolutely against men who are bullies, but I also say both men and women need to honour each other in marriage, thank each other in marriage, and don't complain so much. It'll be a different Christmas if you can have a Christmas meal without complaints. Another need for quality of life is to know that there are people that you can turn to for help. You can make yourself known to people and let them know that you're available, but you can also introduce them to community help. Uh, there are many people want help, but they don't know where to turn, and if you do know, 
and be the one that shows them. I had an elderly friend in Noosa uh, who was dying of cancer, but he went to Melbourne so that he could mix with refugees and show them how to get clothes and shoes from the op shops and to take them around and introduce them to agencies that could help. And until his death, he did a lot of good for a lot of people without spending much money. He simply showed them where to find help. And the last two, access to health services. There's no shame to turn to it. There's groups like Beyond Blue and others that do wonderful work and who are needed at Christmas time. And the last ones, have a plan of action. Having a plan of action uh, brings us to the blessing of God that I talked about. Uh, there is a scripture I'd, I'd like you to put up, if you could, please, uh, from Romans 8, which is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And it is so powerful if you realize its full effects. He who did not withhold his own son but freely gave him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? All things doesn't leave anything out. Ephesians 1.3 says, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Second Peter 1.3 says, God has given everything that is necessary for life and godliness. Psalm 84 says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. Psalm 84 says, the young lions do suffer and hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says, but God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you're always having all sufficiency and all things may always abound to every good work. The reason for the supply is the good work. Paul prays for one group of people. He says, I pray that God will fulfill every desire you have for good works with faith and power. He's saying that it's possible to have a miracle from God that equips you to give. He's saying that it's possible to be enriched where your needs are not only met personally, but there is an overflow for others. And I believe in abundance. I believe in a God of abundance. Uh, I once asked God, are you a God of abundance? Because there's a great reaction against teaching prosperity or believing in abundance or wealth. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, please tell me, are you or are you not a God of abundance? Because if you're not, I'll stop preaching it. But if you are, I'll keep preaching it. And I was in a junk shop, a second-hand shop, but it was certainly not of a level where you could call it an antique shop. It was a junk shop. <laughs> but sometimes it's fun to buy people's recycled rubbish, you know. <laughs> and I, I saw a sign there which was written in kanji script, which I did, don't understand, but I've traveled in China and in Japan, so I've seen the kanji script, so I recognize what it was. And the Lord said, I want you to buy it. I said, easy for you to say with your golden throne. I can't buy it unless I borrow money. So I borrowed the money and I bought it. I didn't know if it was God speaking to me or not, because 
I have a very vivid imagination, which seems like God on occasion, and it's often wrong. (laughs) But what I do know is that God says, them who honor me, I will honor. If you do something to please God, even if you're wrong, God is pleased because you're honoring him. And so I bought the thing. Well, now I had a a little stand with a kanji script on it that said something that I didn't understand. (laughs) I was outside Japan Airlines, the shop, so I took it in and asked them, do you know what this is? Oh, yes, they said, wait here. They went out the back and they photocopied from a dictionary the same script and an explanation. And they said, this is for a level of attainment where, like somebody learning the piano, where they have such a repertoire, they now have riches to draw from. I said, is it like an abundance? They said, yes, it's the word for abundance. Now, I felt I'd led led the witness, so I wasn't all happy, because I'd told them, please tell me it's abundance, and they had obliged. But later I met a lady who was a good example of receiving and living in God's grace. She was a most amazing old lady. She was Chinese, and we fell in love with each other. And uh, she was the most extraordinary lady. She had, uh, in 1949, when the communists took over China, many people were being murdered and horrible things were happening. Somebody gave her their baby to look after and to smuggle out of China. And she, at the risk of her own life, took the little baby into the West and eventually found her way, uh, after a series of adventures, to New Zealand. In New Zealand, she took in washing and sewing and raised the baby as if it was her own. When he grew up, he became a lawyer. He became rich. And he was ashamed of his mother's peasant origins. And so she was not allowed to eat with his family or his wife, and she had to hide when he had visitors. He was a pig of a chap, a brute of a chap. But we have something like it in Scripture in Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet he became poor that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Jesus laid aside all the rewards for the blessing of a righteous life and died cursed so you could receive the blessing. He went without so that you could have. And this lady went without so that the man could have. The last I heard of them, he was still not repentant, still not grateful but receiving grace. Now, I mentioned earlier a scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which says, but God is able to make grace abound toward you. Grace means you don't deserve it. But God is able to make grace get to you. He's able to make it abound. And there's a reason why he does it, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that you always... That doesn't leave any time out. Having all sufficiency, that means you're not unable, you are able. 
that you're always having all sufficiency and everything may always abound to every good work. Later on in the same passage, it says God gives seed to the sower. And I, w- I want to say just two things to you that you may or may not remember, but if you remember, they will bless you. One is, if you set your heart to be debt-free, you'll get supernatural help because it's the will of God. It's not a sin to owe money. And the, the good Samaritan comes along, finds a man beaten up, makes him his priority, not only pays for his help, puts him in, a, in the equivalent of a hotel and says to them, when I come back, if anything is owing, I will pay it. That's using credit. So when you hear somebody saying that it's forbidden for a Christian to use credit, they are wrong. Jesus told the story and approved credit. As long as you can service the bill, you're allowed to have it. But that's not talking about overextending, like I'm talking about overextended Christmases for spoiled brat children who demand gifts that they're not even grateful for when they get them, or women who feel pressured to overspend and so on. So I'm not talking about over-entitlement, I'm talking about need. So it's not wrong to be in debt, but I do believe it's the will of God to be debt-free. And if you, if you just believe your house could be debt-free, that the whole title could be paid, that the mortgage might be fully paid, I believe once you set your heart to do it, you will find Holy Ghost help and because it's the will of God. But God's design is not just to bring you into a place where you have enough, but where you have overflow for those who need it. God cares about the poor, and he wants to equip them through you. God told Abraham, I'll bless you and make you a blessing. And that's the Christianity I believe in, where God blesses you so outrageously that you are well able to support missionaries, to feed the poor, to give to the homeless and the lonely on a committed, regular way. I believe you can give even while you're poor, but I believe there's something special about asking God. I've only a few minutes to go, but I'll just throw some more scriptures at you. Romans 10 says, There is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, rich unto all that call upon him. Now, if you call upon him, you'll find him rich. But if you don't call upon him, you won't find him rich. Uh, The scripture that we have up on the board there, uh, he who did not withhold his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? It's been my experience that when I've needed curtains or a table or a crockery set or guests arriving for dinner and no food for them, I found again and again miraculous supply. I live on it. It's been, I, I do. I've seen it year after year after year. But here's the tragedy. Many Christians don't know God is that good. When Jesus met a woman at the well in Luke chapter 4, sorry, John 4, he said to her, if you knew who it is who's talking to you, And if you knew what the gift of God is, you would have asked, and I would have given. You need to know that God is generous, that he's not mean and stingy, and that he's willing to give. And you need to ask. It even says in James chapter 1, you have not 
because you ask not. And I want to challenge you to become very big askers. Ask for the ridiculous. Ask for the exceedingly abundantly, far and above what you ask or think. Stretch your asking. I, I said to the Lord about this abundance thing, I said, what is that? Now, the Chinese lady, the old Chinese lady, she looked at the symbol, she said, that's Fung Fu. I said, what is Fung Fu? She said, it's a well that never runs dry. It's a fountain that never empties. Fung Fu. And when the Bible says we've received abundant pardon, abundant grace, it uses that word in the Chinese Bible. God is a God of endless supply, and you can discover him. If you are not a Christian, let me tell you one of the most wonderful gifts God has given. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. How you receive it is the same for everybody. Ask. Ask. Jesus said, if you are evil and you know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? But notice it's to them that ask. He's rich unto them that call. You have not because you ask not. I wonder how many things in your life are missing because you never asked. And I want to challenge you to ask. I believe the Holy Spirit will show you what to ask. I'll give one more testimony. I was in New York City. My baggage had broken again. Again and again I'd bought Samsonite, I'd bought Toomey luggage, I'd bought all sorts of luggage, some of them guaranteed for life. I travelled so much in those days and the baggage handlers throw them about. Bag after bag broke. But I'd been reading in the scripture that Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he'll show you things before they come to pass. He said, I tell you things before they come to pass so that when they do, you may believe. And sometimes God puts a prophetic desire in your heart for something and you think you're asking for too much, then God gives it to you and you realize that God put the desire in your heart because he knew he had it assigned to you. So I drew a picture of the bag I would really like. It was like a cube cut in half for proportions. It was lined in carpet. It had a brass zip. It had four wheels. Later I went into a bag shop in New York City and there for 600 American dollars was my bag exactly as I had drawn it. I had never seen it before. But somebody had seen it. The Holy Spirit knew that bag was a sign for me and it was my bag and I was allowed to have it. Now, I believe there are many things that are a sign for you that are yours to have and possess and thank God for, and you have the desire for them. But God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of boldness, and you may boldly ask at the throne of grace for the thing that you desire, and you may boldly ask for equipment so that you can fulfill your desire to bless other people. And I want to challenge you to be a very, very big asker And ask the Lord to give you what you would need to bless others.